When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Liverpool are still on for a quadruple but can Eddie Howe's resurgent Newcastle United derail their hopes of history? We'll find out this weekend in the Premier League as well as whether Leeds United can pick up some well-earned points an unlikely cause against a fearsome Manchester City side who lead the way in the top flight Everton too scrapping down the bottom they face a tricky test at home to Chelsea We'll look ahead to the weekend's Premier League action here on the dugout as well as sharing some thoughts about the summer transfer window which is only a month or so away which club's business are we most looking forward to seeing Plus, after all the exciting drama we've had this week in the Champions League, could semi-finals over two legs soon be scrapped by UEFA? Loads to get through on today's episode of The Dugout, the Premier League podcast from Football Social Daily, featuring former top flight professionals. And today on the show, we've got someone who was lightning quick down the wing and had an eye for goal. But enough about me. We've got Matt Jarvis and Trevor Stephen with us. How are you doing, boys? Very funny. Very funny, Niall. <laughs> Good start to the show, that. <laughs> well, well, wingers union. I'm being ganged yeah. up on here. Got two yeah. really good wingers from different eras. Were you, were you a winger? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> no, definitely not. Okay, I just kind of stand right. in the middle and move as little as possible. I once did. Okay. Um, you know, nowadays players get the vests with the GPS in the back, and it tells you yeah. how far you had run. We went to a training ground of a club, and they put um, these vests on all of the press. And my um, my sprinting stats were shocking, to say the least. Um, I'm 10% good enough to be a professional <laughs> footballer, so <laughs> I'm, I'm lacking in quite a few departments. You're, you're that you're you're a quarterback. You're sitting there and just spray yeah. things around where you. Well, they said you? they said that I covered more distance, <laughs> but did far fewer sprints. So I just happily to accept the PLO role. <laughs> yeah, so that, you know that um, Jan Moby story. Uh, you know that Jan Moby story. You know he never. Uh, moved really from the centre spot but he sort of directed up things as a quarterback uh, and um, Graeme Sinness said to him that he's the only player he's ever met in his whole career as Graeme Sinness is saying about Jan Mulby uh, in his whole career that he's the only player who's actually put weight on during the game <laughs> well, I've definitely put weight on since that game I can tell you um, <laughs> Trevor won the league with Everton that's why he's here on today's episode of the show Matt was a record signing for West Ham once upon a time and actually before we begin Jarvo why not ask you about your old club the Hammers because they've got a game in the Europa League tonight the yeah. semi-finals against Eintracht Frankfurt you'll actually be listening to this podcast after that game has already happened by the way we are recording this before kickoff. but before we do get into the show what are your thoughts on West Ham's chances in Europe mate? Oh, so exciting. I really am. Um, just, it's a great opportunity. I think, you know, I, I was lucky enough to speak to a couple of the players after the game against Chelsea and they, they were just so looking forward to it. Like, just couldn't wait for the game to come. Um, this, the stadium, the atmosphere is going to be electric. Um, and the fans, I mean, they've been waiting for a long time for this. So 
I'm really, really hopeful, and uh, and I, I, I truly feel that they've got such a good chance. Um, the team's great. The, the the togetherness of them is incredible, and that's that's what gets you through these type of games, especially. Yes, you need to perform, but it's the togetherness, the way that David Moyes has got the team together, and they all run and round for each other. They're always backing each other up, and and whatever happens, you've seen with the sendings off in previous rounds, they're there. As, as a team and, and get themselves through so really looking forward to it and I really hope they, they, they do well tonight Yeah we will see what happens but as I mentioned by the time you listen to this show you'll already know the outcome of the first leg and of course we'll be discussing those second legs of all of the European games involving Premier League teams later on this week on the podcast but why not focus on the matches happening this weekend in the top flight still loads to be decided in the Premier League and I want to start up in the North East uh, your neck of the woods I suppose you could say Trevor Newcastle United against Liverpool now Liverpool have just been outstanding they've been on this unbelievable run they're 2-0 up against Villarreal in the Champions League semi-finals looks like they're going to be in another European final all going well however the Premier League seems to be a bit of a different kettle of fish they're still behind Manchester City are Newcastle United going to be the ones to derail that title challenge this weekend it's a tough game uh, for sure for for Liverpool uh, but the form that Liverpool are in um, they only understand one thing now don't they is to win football matches I mean, there is nothing else. Uh, but Newcastle are revitalised. They are the team. You know, I, I was just thinking there. Well, West Ham have had such a brilliant season, but it's been all it's been through the season, uh, and a really progressive club and team. That's West Ham. But Newcastle United started their season really in January. So in this short period of time, they've come from you know potential relegation fodder to you know a team that. Everyone, even the top players around the world, are looking at and thinking that may be a club that I wouldn't mind going to. Uh, and their form is great. They, they are crest of a wave, um, have bought well, have also been able to cope with one or two injuries, as well, you know, particularly Kieran Trippier, that you, you thought might have um, scuppered their progress somewhat. But it's uh, massively positive. So it, it's like um, they're like the West Ham of, of the North, aren't they? Uh, just everything is rosy in the garden with them and everything to look forward to. So Liverpool go up there knowing that they're going to face a team that are not intimidated and fancy their chances. But the Liverpool side that we see week in, week out is of uh, the extraordinarily good. They're a class, class team that just know how to win football matches. Um, we know they're in an intense uh, run of games. Um, can can they keep it going? I, I just think if they drop, if they drop any more points, it's 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 Man City's title. Um, uh, so they have to go there and win. Do I think they'll win? I do think they'll win. I think they've got enough. Their quality is great. It's absolutely superb, uh, and they will not let this go. The quadruple, as they're all talking about, or trying to avoid talking about, certainly in the Liverpool camp. Is, is very much on. Um, of course, Man City will hold the key to that, particularly because of the one-point advantage. But it's exciting going in this last month. There's so many things and issues throughout the league. Uh, but I, I see Liverpool winning at the weekend. Yeah, I mean, Newcastle are playing with that sort of freedom. I think they're now clear of the relegation zone. I don't think there's any chance of them going down. And it feels now, Jarvo, that every player wants to be a part of something at Newcastle United. Whereas before the takeover, before Eddie Howe, there was this sort of gloomy storm cloud over the club where it felt 
really depressing even just going to St. James's Park. The atmosphere was flat. Now the place is bouncing. Everyone's looking forward to next season. Has their appeal changed in the last six months? What, what do you think that might do to them this summer? Look, definitely. I think first and foremost, you've got to give huge praise to Eddie Howe you know, coming in and what a job he's done since he's since he's been there because I think there was probably a couple of people a few question marks when he got appointed um, but he's proved everyone wrong or you know in the majority right because he's he's a great manager and and the, the the thing that they've done so well is their recruitment they've been clever they've not gone and bought out you know players that are expecting to be in the top six clubs you know they've bought players that know the league know they they were going in to get them out of the relegation zone to keep them up this season and then that breeds confidence in the team. And you look at everyone, they're playing so well. The fan base, you know, what, what a support structure they have. That's why now people will be looking at it going, each window, they'll be trying to aim to get that little bit higher. They, I, I can't see them then going now because they've done well in the last few weeks. They're going to be going for like the top, top players. They're going to slowly build up again. They're going to go for the next bracket. You know, they've got the players that got them out of the relegation. They're going to go to the next bracket and get them players, and they're going to move up again and try and get into Europe. I, I, I certainly see it being a lot more. You know, a lot more players will be like, yeah, this is this is going to be a great club to go to, and and they've got that. As I said, the fan base as well. It's, it's, it, it could really take off. Yeah, class. you only need to so see, you see the, yeah, the the signing of Bruno Gimaresh is just oh, exactly. You took the you took the words out of my mouth, Nile, because. He was not. Um, he was not particularly well known to anyone who was not studying or following French football. Uh, and it, this kind of reminds me very much of the sort of Leicester City model of Steve Walsh when he was going around getting Kanté and, and Mares, just looking away from the obvious. I mean, I know Lyon's not um, so hidden as. Uh, uh, was it Ren? I think they came from or something like that. I'm not sure where these get that. Maybe La Havre from Mares. I'm, I'm guessing. Sorry about that. Um, but Guimaraes was not ranked as, as one of the top players. He was potentially a very good player, um, but they they spent the the millions. I don't know. It was near at forty million or something on him. A heavy price, yeah. But there was nobody else in the market for him. And of course, Bruno Guimaraes has probably quadrupled his salary. Uh, so there was every chance that he was going to take that up. But then it's got to be proven to be a good judgment on the recruitment side. And this guy, like uh, Luis Diaz, has gone into Liverpool. This guy's doing the same at, um, at Newcastle United. So you can only just pat them on the back, you know, on the recruitment team and Eddie Howe and, you know, for pushing to make that make sure that transfer happened. And it's absolutely fitted like a glove. Yeah. So he scored five goals, know, I think it was. Tells you everything well. about modern day football. Huge. Yeah. Modern day recruitment is, is a fine art, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely is. And we'll be talking about transfers a little bit later on in the show as well. Newcastle, Liverpool this weekend. So too is Leeds versus Manchester City from one title contender to the other. City leading the way and of course are the defending champions. But Leeds United desperately need the points with Burnley picking up form recently. It's pretty unlikely, Matt, that they're going to beat Manchester City, but their new manager, Jesse Marsh, says that they're going to have a right go at Manchester City and have a right go at trying to beat them. If you are going to beat Man City, is that the right approach? Just just try and 
go at them because we've seen so many times if you sit back you're going to get beaten look it's, it, I think I, I heard his interview after the Crystal Palace game and they asked him about this game and he was he sort of laughed and was like look we're going to give it a great you know a good chance we're going to go go for it because you can't you sit back there you take up so much pressure they're so good on the ball city that they just keep passing they pass mm-hmm. around you they create space they pull someone out to get someone else to make a run in behind they're so good at it and I mean you know slightly different to the Champions League game but if you actually try and go for them, there's always the possibility that you can get something. And I think for for the way that the players are, they're in good form. I think they they've they're unbeaten in the last five. They've won three. They're in good form that they can actually tr- be confident and be like, we we've got to give it a go because there is it's it's a it's a free hit for them. No one's expecting them to get a win. No one's expecting them to get a point. So for them to just be able to go there. Uh, get that game and just be like, "Yep, let's go for it. We've got to give it our best shot." You know, if we lose, we lose. It doesn't. It doesn't necessarily matter. They've got, you know, Arsenal and Chelsea after that, which is two another big games. But you're looking at the last two. They've yeah. got Brighton and Brentford. Their last two games. So all eyes are probably be on them last two games to get six points. At you know that that's that's probably their ideal finish to the season. Should they be worried about relegation, Jarvo? They're 16th at the moment, 34 points. They are five points clear of Everton uh, in the bottom three, but Everton have a game in hand. And and let's just say Burnley continue their form and they win again and Leeds don't against Manchester City. That puts Leeds and Burnley level on points with 34 points each. For me, you've always got to be worried until it's mathematically, you know, that you're staying up. You, you have to be worried. I think the biggest thing you can look at that is Everton. You know, they've, they've always been in this relegation battle. They've just never thought they were. And the mentality of the players has got to be, we need to get a point. We need to get three points. We need to pick up another point. Because until mathematically you're stayed up, there's always that possibility and doubt. And, and you've just got to, got to keep progressing in, that, in the, the next game, get another win. Because then it's the pressure of it. It sucks you in when some, another team gets the win. You're like, oh, right. It puts massive pressure on the next game. And if then someone else picks, picks up another game, you, you're looking at their last two games at Brighton and Brentford thinking, right, we ha- now we have to win. And that's even more pressure. And it's a different type of pressure knowing you have to win rather than not lose. Yeah, I mean, I was in Leeds last night for an event, actually, amongst a fair few Leeds United supporters. And they are they are nervous. I can tell you that. They are nervous about their run in between now and the end of the season. You picked up on their games, Matt, and of course, Manchester City this weekend. And as for the side from Manchester leading the way, Trevor, this is a strange question because I don't think it's particularly fair, but do they feel like a more beatable side than Liverpool do right now? Does it feel like it's easier to beat City than it is to beat Liverpool? Not saying that it's easy, of course, because it's one of the hardest things you can do. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I wouldn't say there's much between them. Neither of these sides really look beatable. Uh, mm. If you give them... Not even if you give them give them the room to play or or, or approach it slightly negatively. And just on, on Leeds there, I can't see any point in Leeds sitting back and waiting to get beat. They may as well go and try and get something, and whatever happens, happens. But you know, Man City, uh, they were brilliant the other night. Um, you know, at, at the highest level, there were elements of mistakes in the games, which in the game which let um, Real Madrid back into it. But there's too much to play for, and to at this stage to have any doubt, and I don't see any doubts amongst the Man City squad, and then I don't see any doubt 
in the Liverpool squad that they're going to go and win, win the games that are in front of them. Not saying that they will, but I certainly don't think that Manchester City are an are a easier task uh, than Liverpool at this stage. I think, I think they're neck and neck, they're shoulder to shoulder and everything that they're doing, slightly different styles. But um, these two teams are the best teams I've seen in the Premier League and they're both sort of there at the same time, which, is, which has been brilliant for us watching it. Uh, because it, 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 they're masterclasses in how to move the ball in slightly different ways. Because I can just see Man City moving the ball sharply against Leeds United. I just see it moving around. And they will drag them here, there and everywhere and come back, go out, go back another way, looking for little little spaces. They do it like clockwork now. It's just automatic. Difficult to mm. play against. Super difficult. I actually, I actually honestly can't see either of them, like City or Liverpool, actually dropping points. I think this will be it and it'll Man City will win by the the point. I, I can't see them dropping any points. They're they're just both so strong. So yeah. it, it'll be very interesting. Do you know what I was thinking about this the other day and I don't like comparing eras because things change so quickly. Um you know over five or six year periods in football you do see things change quite a lot and I was thinking to myself, would this Man City team beat the great United team of 99 that won the treble? And I personally think they would. But I also thought to myself, that's not really a fair question because football was different then and football's different now. And maybe the best team in 15 years from now would easily beat this Man City and Liverpool team. So I guess you're always kind of in the moment, Trevor, aren't you, when it comes to thinking about who's the best and who's the greatest, is it just a case of, all right, let's enjoy these two sides because they are class? Yeah, it's all relative to the era that you're playing in. But for, you know, the, the quality of skill uh, throughout teams now, from top to bottom, including a goalkeeper, by the way, um, yeah. is, is completely different from days gone by. And I think one of the, obviously, training, uh, preparation uh, support systems, you know, medical side, etc. They're all different, but one all far better now. Um, but the one thing is that the surfaces, the playing surfaces, allow skill. They allow skill. Um, but I'm sure you've played on on pitches, you know, in the early parts of your career, which were, you know, just unrecognizable as a football pitch. Yeah. Sand pits. Yeah, and you're not, <laughs> you cannot perform skills at that level in the same way. You need two, three touches to get the ball under control sometimes. Uh, and first time passing is extremely difficult. On the modern day pitches, That it encourages that. And so you've got that, um, you've certainly got the, those benefits that are in and around the modern game. So... Yeah, I mean, comparing one generation with another generation is is almost almost pointless. But I do think the bar's been raised again, as I was saying earlier, this season to to an extraordinary level of consistency, high quality um, passing football. You would have to say maybe if Liverpool got the quadruple that they could be potentially classed as that yeah. team. Do you know what? Who's just um, whilst we're here? Why, why or who is the last game? Because this is going to go at the end, isn't it? It's got to go at the last game. Who's... Liverpool have got Aston Villa, and it's obviously Steven oh. Gerrard factor, <laughs> which is just. Where, where's the game at? <laughs> I think it might be at Villa Park. You know, okay. I think it might be at Villa Park. Right. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but I, I'm almost certain that it's. Could Aston you imagine Villa. his team talk? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll start with nine men. You know, Steven Gerrard. Yeah, I think it's like nine that. years this week since he slipped up against Chelsea as well, Steven Gerrard. So right. 
Um, and City's last game of the season. Uh, I'm not 100. percent I tell you what. Let me have a quick look because I've got it up here. I can tell right. you. I think you should. I think you should because let's be honest. It's going to go down to the last day. You know, you, you know, takes your mind back to Man United. Um, was it up at Sunderland? Oh, yeah. Was it yeah, Sunderland? United, Sunderland yeah. and City, obviously, at yeah. home to QPR. City are at yeah, home QPR. this time as well, final day. Mm-hmm. It's City who have Aston Villa. So imagine oh. Steven Gerrard's incentive there. Oh, well, they are. Oh, oh, oh my. To right. win. Okay, then. So, what, what, so sorry, what, Liverpool are Liverpool away, are at Anfield and they've got Wolves. So not easy. Oh, but, okay. I mean, right. okay. like you say, I mean, there's so much to play for. It is super exciting. And, mm. you know, you, you look at these games between now and the end of the season. Oh, just yeah. what so game. mouth-watering. Oh, um, oh, Everton oh. have got Arsenal on the final day, Trevor. Their final fixtures um, are looking tough. Um, well, yeah, away from home. Yeah. It's not going to yeah, be easy. Away, yeah. uh, Everton desperate now because they've got Chelsea this weekend. Uh, I mean, Chelsea can be got at. We, we've seen that in recent games. They lost to Brentford. They were shocking against Arsenal, really. But they can also turn up and put you away 6-0 as Southampton find out, found out recently. So is this about which Chelsea show up at the weekend or which Everton show up? Which This is about which Chelsea show up. I think you know what you're going to get from Everton now. I think the we saw the model that uh, that they developed last week. It's taking them a little bit of time to get there, but just first and foremost, be hard to beat. And Liverpool found it difficult against them, um, and and they did work really hard, and then tried to catch uh, Liverpool on the counter attack, and, and should have done better with the counter attacks that they had. Uh, and you would imagine that the Chelsea game, Chelsea like a possession, and so Everton can let them come on and try and get them on the on the counter-attack. And, and again, we'll have limited opportunities. Honestly, it is desperate. It is hanging by a thread. Um, you know, this uh, uh, Everton's tenure in, in the Premier League, um, I'm extremely worried about it uh, because I don't know what long-term effect that's going to have. You would not, you would, you would have to get Everton back after one season. If they went two seasons, uh you know, you start thinking Nottingham Forest, you start to think of Derby Counties, you start to think... Cause Sunderland, it can, Because yeah. it can all go wrong, can't it? You know, no matter what your stadium looks like, it doesn't matter. It's about the heart and soul and, and of the team. Um, yeah, so it, walking a tightrope, but you're right, going back to where we started, it's about what Chelsea turn up. And Chelsea on that little bit of a position where they're kind of secure for that third place. Um, but you would imagine that Arsenal could win four of the last five. And and then Chelsea have got to win three of their last six. Um, so I'm just looking at it before uh, we came on to, to the podcast. Um, so Chelsea, it's still vital that they keep up their standard because they've got to secure some points. And they will yeah. expect to go to Everton and get, get the full point uh, hole. The biggest thing for Chelsea now is um, is the FA Cup final. The players, mm-hmm. uh, they... they they, you know, they rotate so much that everyone's got to perform well to get themselves in the starting eleven. So it's it's going to be huge. I was at the Chelsea West Ham game and West Ham defended so well, like Everton are going to have to do. But they defended so well when they had a few breaks, a few counters that didn't quite go their way. But they had the bench and they had Pulisic that came on. They had Lukaku that came on. Lukaku's got a point to prove. He come and he he got the penalty, and it was his sort of run that that got two defenders to him, and Pulisic made a great run to score the goal. You know, the, these are the things that Chelsea have in their resources at the moment that they can go and bring players like that on off the bench if things if if need be. But Everton, are, uh, they they have to 
have to do the performance like they did at Liverpool and not not previous weeks because they they really are mentally they have to be like in the frame of mind that they are in this relegation zone that we've been saying it for a long time with them and the players but I think like the the performance against Liverpool showed that they actually know that they have to work first and foremost before their quality to, can come through. I just think that the, the thing that Everton have been poor at is being clinical in front of goal and you just can't survive in the Premier League if you're not scoring goals. So you've got to look at the only natural, really natural goal scorer is uh, Calvert-Lewin and he's not played all season. You know, he, He's been the element that would have given Everton a sort of mid a comfortable mid-table season, but he's just not yeah. been I'm there. not sure Everton can use that as an excuse though, Trevor, don't you think? Because, you know, they've had they've not had him it's all not season. Excuse, so they just saying, should have learned by yeah, now. They mm. should have, but, you know, they spent so much money and got no return um, for their players. And then you look at your acquisitions, you know, of Deli Alley and um, Van Der Beek and, and it's not been good every anyway that you look at it, but just not scoring enough goals and and so Cavaloon has been the the missing element uh, to having a sort of mid table uh, season, which would have been okay. Yeah. Um, not the drastic one like like we've witnessed so far this year. Just final question then before we move on and talk about transfers, just how flat can dressing rooms get, Jarvo, when you're really up against it, backs to the wall things not going your way. Everton Football Club in the relegation zone. Have you ever had any experiences where dressing rooms have got so flat? Because I heard Tim Krul doing an interview, obviously the Norwich goalkeeper, and he said that they're still hopeful they can stay up, but obviously their confidence is is really low. And understandably, because they've been getting beaten quite comfortably most weeks. So so how low can things get? How flat can things get in a, in a dressing room? And, and how do the players combat that when it comes to three o'clock on a Saturday? It's extremely difficult. I have to say, I've been in them changes. I've been fighting relegation for a few years. I've been relegated, and and the 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 difference, the 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 first the the last one when I was actually when I was at Norwich, we at Christmas were nowhere near it. A little, you know, there was no no thought in our mind that we were going to be in a relegation battle. And I, similar to I suppose Everton at the minute, and we just we just started dipping. We were losing games, and then it's just. It's the momentum shifts and you're coming into training after another loss of the weekend and everyone's down and, you know, the staff are trying to pick you up, the physio room, everyone's trying to get, but mentally you're exhausted after another defeat, you're going into another meeting, looking at the, you know, goals you've conceded and you're, yep, I've done that wrong, I needed to do that, I should have been doing that and each week is the same and then when you go a goal behind in the next game, you're like, well, that's it. Because you know we haven't been scoring goals, we haven't been able to to combat the other side. So you you automatically. Do you know what? That's that's really interesting. Sorry to stop you, Javo, but what you said there about like analysing clips and stuff after you've been beaten, it's almost like just con. It's just like kicking you when you're down, isn't it? Punishing you. So I mean, is there an argument to suggest managers just okay? We'll forget about that, lads, because obviously you want your team to improve. That's... So wh- how do you approach that? What, look, one hundred percent. You you've got to try everything. We've done we've done the complete opposite where you don't look, and then you get beat again, and then you're looking going, well, I've got to point it out. And the manager's going, I've got to point it out because it keeps happening. Mm. You know, you, you you try one way. If that's not working, you try something else. You're you're desperate. You you've got to try something to change the way that it's going. Um, and and like I said to you, when you then go into a game and you go 1-0 behind, it's that 
oh, here we go, you know, and to mentally try and shift that to be like, no, come on, let's go, get fighting. But when it happens week in, week out, it's so difficult to change that momentum and that, that shift of your mentality of, right, no, we can still do this, we can still do this. And that's where you looked and you thought, like, Norwich picked up a couple of wins, yeah, had a good performance, picked up a win, and you think, right, here we go. And then the next game, back down, and you're like, it's it's the same with Everton. You thought of them after their win against Man United. You thought, okay, that that's the platform for them to kick on, and it just it just hasn't. And you you've got to try everything possible to keep the players' confidence up because that's the biggest biggest part of it. You need to have the players that receive the ball that are the the Y players or the inf- attacking players that have got to be confident to take people on and put get shots off and you know to receive the ball you know, a lot of people are saying about you've got to be brave and got to be able to pass the ball and receive it but when your confidence is low someone's giving you the ball with a, a player behind you and you've got to have a touch you've got to turn and that it's very easy to just bounce the ball back and and that's it because you don't want to lose the ball and you're not confident enough to to take players on and, and create opportunities so it's 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 really difficult someone said something to me once which i think rings true whether that be football or any walk of life really and that's confidence is the hardest thing to find but it's the easiest thing to lose and i totally agree with that i mean it takes a long time to get your confidence up to a level but if you keep getting beaten you know for instance everton's confidence would have been up after beating man united then they get hammered by liverpool and it's like well okay this is this is this is where we're at lads you know and and you're back down almost lower than where you were before because you feel like you've taken two steps back and i think that that is is certainly something worth considering when we look at the run in between now and the end of the season there is only a month left of the campaign which means that we're getting close to the transfer window and the rumors are starting to heat up on the back pages we're going to talk about transfers with matt and with trevor next after this the dugout premier league preview Football Social Daily. The Dugout Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. The Dugout is our special once a week show featuring former top flight professional players, former West Ham and Wolves winger Matt Jarvis and ex-England and Everton winger Trevor Stephen are with me. And we're getting to the end of the season now. And I wanted to talk about transfers. I was wondering, from your perspective as players, do you already know, Trevor, by this stage of the season, if you're staying at a club or if you're moving on? Let's say you're out of contract or there's maybe a year left and you've heard a few rumours of interest. Do you know by now or does it really go right down to the final few weeks? Well, any given season, there are within your squad, there's players who have just signed a contract or are out of contract or are coming to end of contract, people who've got one year left, people who are out of favour, people who are in favour, a change in management. So you've got all of these uh, different mechanisms within the club that all happen you know, from Christmas onwards, really, through to the end of the season. If you are a player, um, it depends, as I said, relative to those things I've just stated. Uh, just as, as an example, I just signed a, a contract when I was at Rangers. I'd signed a a new contract uh, at the Christmas time for five years. Within six months, within five and a half, six months, I was gone. I went to Marseille because uh, that was driven because the, there was a big offer, suited the club, and it gave me a great option to go and play abroad. All right, so my intention 
five, six months before was to stay and have five years and let's see how great I can make my experience at Rangers Football Club. Six months later, it suited both parties. So there's one example. I'm sure Jarvis got exactly the same when, it, when he's moved from club to club. None, none of it's the same. I remember uh, leaving Burnley when I was 19. Um, the club, I didn't particularly want to go, but the club just insisted that, that I go. And I joined Everton, which I was happy I did go at the end. But, um, you know, that's how, how, it, how it was. And the other experience I've, I've had is coming out of contract um, and choosing to go to somewhere else. So I've kind of had three different ways of approaching the end of season. One fully under contract, one with um, one year left, uh, which was leaving Burnley and the club wanted to get uh, me off their, their books. Um, and me just letting a contract run out because I wanted to go and do something else, change my environment. Depends on which player you ask uh, as to, to where they're going to go. You know, someone like a Paul Pogba, where everyone now knows he's going to leave, but it's no one's really new, you know, and I don't think he really was casting his mind towards exactly what he was going to do but he will be now of course because he's going to have to have to leave the club and uh, and go to pastures new and find someone that pays wages that is yeah well it's interesting talking about Manchester United because they've got a few contract problems to sort out in the summer with a new manager coming in but what about you Jarvo any reflections on what Trevor's just said obviously you were West Ham's record signing did did you find out about the fee and when did you learn about it and and how did transfers work when you were a player <laughs> Uh, well, if you're going straight in with the West Ham one, I, um, you know, that was the season that Wolves got relegated. So I was obviously wanting to get back into the Premier League, but that was all down to the club. That was nothing really that, that was due to me. They they were waiting for the, the, the correct fee that they wanted. So I, I didn't really have any input in any of that uh, with, with regards to the fee. So it was just waiting to to hear once they've it's been agreed and then right agreed a fee which was really late on in the window um and then it's just everything just happens so quickly as as triple you know you you literally it that's it away you go and you've got to pack up and off you and off you pop but so the, at, that, at that point were you keen to not keen to stay at wolves because you said you wanted to get back into the premier league but i mean you're talking final few days of the transfer window or whatever are you you kind of thinking okay it's another season here we'll try and get up from the championship back to the premier league or did you kind of always know that something was going to happen I didn't always know that something was going to happen I I wanted to to get back and play in the Premier League uh, there'd been quite a few bids already been rejected so I sort of you know I'd, I'd played for um, for Wolves in the Championship already so I'd already started and, and put my performances in it was just you know you're still waiting to find out if there's another bid coming in and another bid and then obviously the longer it goes you're thinking if you're still waiting and and you know is this going to happen it's just when you get that call that you know something's been agreed then you then everything just is like a roller coaster that goes so quickly but i've i've also been on the end where i thought i was just staying i was at, i was at west ham and i just was playing i was involved in every game and it got to a few hours before the end of the transfer window on the last day um and i just get a call from norwich to say you know, they wanted me to go on loan and it all happened within, you know, the last ten minutes of the transfer window. I'd managed to get the paperwork done. That was it, you know. So it it could be out of the blue. You sit there watching Sky Sports News like everybody else, and then I get a call. It was it was really, you know, it's really strange. But I think when you go back to and talk about these current players, you know, especially at Man United, um, 
And uh, for instance, clubs like Norwich, um, and you know, if we're saying that Watford are, are potentially going to be down as well, all of the clubs that have got sort of either relegation or there's like Man United with lots of things going on, these players will know like they'll be playing. Some of them will be saying, "Yeah, I want to move because I want to play, continue playing the Premier League." There'll be others that will be saying, "Well, you know, I'm." I, I have not been playing that much this season. Maybe a few younger players thinking, actually, next season I might play in the first team now because we're in the championship. So you've got to be looking things like that. There's there's so many factors, as Trevor said. There's so many factors you've got to, you've got to think about. But I don't think many will be able to say right now that, yep, I know where I'm going to be. I know what I'm doing because everything changes by uh, week to week. Yeah, money talks, doesn't it? Well, money money talks. So, you, you know, you, a player can be... Um, uh, sort of widely known to be in the marketplace um, for clubs to go and, and, and buy. But one club might be interested in them, but they're going to bid for another one. But when they don't get that other one, they might go back for the for the original player who's already had an offer from another club. So it can just keep on changing. Uh, and this is why it, it is an exciting thing now, the transfer window, as it draws to a close. Uh, no longer, um, you know, you look at the great teams of the 70s and things, you know, a Liverpool team like that, which... Uh, over a period of ten years, they probably had about four, only four changes to the whole group of players. You know, players would stay at clubs for a long time and 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 be successful or otherwise. Uh, but those days have completely changed. Every club, on average, is turning over vast amounts of players. It's a huge part of it. I think it starts as well. It starts at the top, no, doesn't it? Like, for instance, if you're like Man City and Liverpool, once they've done their business, then it filters down to other teams because you're, you're trying to pick all that. So, like, for instance, it's like a merry-go-round with the strikers. You know, if you're talking about, you know, Haaland and Lewandowski and all these, if, if any of them move, it filters down to everyone else because they, yeah. that can move theirs, they can take that, then someone else can go. And, and it, that, that's what everyone's waiting for, someone to make a first move to that it spirals down to everyone else and it, it affects everyone. Is it fair to say nowadays, Trevor, com- compared to when you were playing, that it's a lot harder to be a new, tr- new signing for a club because you've got YouTube clips, you've got social media hype, You've got less patience with fans, time to bed in. Whereas, let's say, you know, we use Bruno Gimaresh as an example from, from Newcastle earlier on. Let's just say he signs in 1985 or whatever, and he comes to a, he comes to a club in the, in the top flight, and no one knows who he is or where he's come from. And, you know, he, he might start terribly and then start getting into his groove, and everyone's like, okay, we've got a player here. But I suppose nowadays, you aren't afforded that time as a new signing because everyone already knows what you're all about. They've seen the clips of you at the former club. They, they know what to expect. So I, I suppose in some ways it's probably harder to be a, a fresh face now. Um, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, to be honest with you, Niall. I think uh, at any time going to a new club, you have to um, go in there. And the first thing, you, you the, your big challenge and the pressure comes from you've got to impress your teammates first and foremost. Uh, you've got to be accepted by the group of people that you're going into. Uh, and then it's it's about the support that's taken to you. But if you don't win that first battle, you, you, the second one never gets off the ground. And I don't think I don't think that um, that process has changed. Okay, there is social media, but the, these guys already live with the social media world. Uh, and uh, some you know thrive off it, some put up with it, some some ignore it. Uh, but it's just under the individual and their resilience to what's around them. 
But there's always the biggest pressure is going in in that first morning, that first few days of training, and you're trying to get your best game to to fit in with the rest and show them why you've been bought. The worst is if you do come into a club and uh, um, it, it doesn't work for you. I remember Peter Crouch tells that story <laughs> when he was hit, when he was going into yeah. went into Liverpool and the first sort of sort of rondo thing they were doing, you know, and um, uh, he said. I, I was useless the first morning, absolutely useless. And all I got was the stare from Steven Gerrard, right? I'm thinking, oh no, you know, I, this is going to be a, this is a mountain to climb to impress these guys. <laughs> Eventually he did, he worked his way in. But that's, that's his memories of, of that, that kind of traumatic experience of trying to, to impress the rest of the gang and be accepted. So uh, yeah, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. That first training session, Pulling out the flicks, all the yeah. You don't want to overdo it. You don't want to overdo it. Always do stuff that you can sustain. (laughs) I reckon, right? You know, you don't want to don't want to be that one trick pony in the in the first training session. It's never seen again. (laughs) Um, Finally, then, obviously, we don't know what the landscape of the Premier League is going to look like next season. Javo, we don't know what's going to happen at Chelsea with potential new owners there. We don't know who Eric Tenark is going to buy at Manchester United. We don't know, as you've mentioned, which teams are staying up in the Premier League. Which sides are you looking forward to in terms of their summer transfer business? Who are you most looking forward to seeing um, in terms of that? It's, that's, it's so difficult because there's probably a few clubs. I would love, to, I'd like to see, you know, realistically, you know, if Man City and Liverpool are going to add, who would they add? Because I think, you know, looking at their two teams, they're incredible. But I think from a neutral, like Newcastle would, would be really interesting to see. And um, just with everything that's going on, depending where they finish, everything that they've got, their resources. But again, for me, it's West Ham. If all goes well for them in Europe, it's huge for them to go in the transfer market. I think they missed a, you know, missed a trick in January by not signing a couple of players. Um, especially in a uh, centre forward, but now if if they get into if they win the Euro- Europa League, they have to strengthen the squad. And then you've got the likes of Declan Rice. You know that scenario. You know you've you've got to spend money, and that would be a really interesting one because their, their transfers have, have been really good in their recruitment in the last few years. So that will be an interesting one. Yeah, Newcastle certainly is going to be interesting. I, I would love to see Harland come to to the Premier League for sure. Uh, I think he will. Yeah, I, I think he will as well. Uh, but how does he incorporate? Probably more likely. I, honestly, I feel he's more likely to fit in better at at Liverpool than he would be at um, at, at Man City because Man City would need to change a bit because he's not really a player. Yeah, I know exactly because. You know how does he fit into that rotation? They don't really play with a centre forward, do they? Yeah, I mean these are great players, so they can adapt. But we've Aguero seen had to change when know, he got back in. Fall flat at Chelsea because the team don't play directly and quickly forward, uh, so he gets lost and he's forever going on runs that he's never ever going to get a pass from or two. So uh, yeah, of course the Newcastle one I agree is 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 going to be interesting. Uh, I think they'll they'll buy well, but I don't think they're going to be. You know, so ambitious. They're expecting, you know, to be vying for the championship. But I tell you what, they will be uh, expecting to vie for fourth place, Champions League places. So they've got the they've got the funds to go and, and do that. Um, and of course, I think Manchester United is very interesting because is uh, Ten Hag going to, you know, sweep out 
you know a lot of these players and and how does he how does that club do it financially because they're, they're being massively paid for underperforming what other teams want to take an underperforming player um on the kind of salaries that they're at big challenges for every club um and obviously you know Declan Rice at, at West Ham will he stay they need they need either top 4 or to win the Europa League for for Declan to stay, I reckon. Yeah, we'll wait and see. We'll cast an eye over the transfer news on this podcast, of course, in the coming weeks and months and right throughout the summer here on The Dugout. Don't forget, if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again. But we do have some Champions League chat to come after this. We'll do it next. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. Welcome back. Final part of today's edition of The Dugout. Matt Jarvis and Trevor Stephen, two former top flight players, are joining me on today's show. And some interesting news has come out in the press over the last few days, and it's to do with the Champions League. There could be some alterations to the Champions League in the very near future, ones that we know about. We've also seen away goals scrapped in recent years. But the latest report suggests that Champions League semi-finals could change from two legs to just one. The two-legged format could be scrapped if you believe the latest reports. The claims are that the two-legged semis will be replaced by a week of football. And what that means is effectively the semi-finals and the final will be played in the space of a single week in one city somewhere in Europe, we think. Kind of like the World Cup, I guess, which is hosted in in one country and then you get the semi-finals and the final sort of five or six days apart. First of all, I'll come to you, Jarvo. After what we've seen this week with Manchester City 4, Real Madrid 3, from what we've seen in years gone by with two-legged semi-finals being some of the most exciting games we've ever seen, what do you make of the idea that they could be scrapped? <laughs> Definitely not. Can't do it. No, <laughs> not for me. Not for me. Um, look, I, I I I do agree with the away goal rule. I think you know that 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 has made a difference. I I I like that idea. I think that's that's a good decision. But to to change it all just for a one week away, I think it, one you know a big factor. Fans they love the home and away leg. They love it. They travel everywhere to go and see the team. It's different when you have to then go for a week. Who's going to have the time off to go and do all of that yeah. and stay? Well, we know they don't and... care about the fans, Jarvo. That's no, no shock, is it? I know, but that, that that's a big part to it. But also, you know, it's <laughs> it's just that that two legged affair. You've got the players that potentially, if they get injured in one. You know, you, if you're in a, that week, you've got the semi-final and the final within a few days. It's the turnaround of, you know, the, the, the massive hype. You look at players like, yeah. for instance, in the Champions League, they have that massive hype of the game. And then a few days later, they play in the Premier League and then they're all, you know, it's not the same performance. That's yeah. what you, you don't want to have the Champions League final where it's everyone's, you know, tired and not yeah, really, yeah. you know, it's not really a great final. It's just whoever wins. You know, it's, it needs to be everyone's fresh going into it, ready to go. It's also the build-up, isn't it, Trevor? Because, you know, if you get through the Champions League semi-finals next week, early May, the final's not for another three weeks. So you've got that three weeks as a as a club, in training as players, the fans, everyone's getting hyped up. Have you got your tickets? Yeah, I'm going to Paris for the final. All of this sort of stuff. You lose that, don't you? You lose that straight away if you change it. Yeah, am I understanding this right, then, that um, it would just be one... One-off semi-final, one-off semi-final, and a final in the week. 
Yes, so it'd be, it. a we- it'd be a yeah. week long. So There'll be the semi-finals, and then okay. the final will be played at the end of the week somewhere. All right. So what are they, t- what are they touting as a benefit there? What, what I, I'm not seeing any benefit or any advancement in in what what's already there and and what that brings. Obviously, the tradition, but we know traditions in football come and go. That always has done. It has evolved. But this is this is the worst idea I've ever heard. I think. Well, this is just reports at the moment. So European clubs or the ECA, the European Club Association, will need to vote to throw their weight behind this to get it through. The suggestions are that there's a possibility that they could agree to do this. Now, you say, what are the benefits? The cynic in me, and I hope there are no UEFA lawyers listening to this, is that we know that um, there are these thoughts or suggestions that maybe the tournament could be played in a one-off city um, for, for financial purposes. Let's just put it that way, to, to kind of tread a careful line. Can, can you see why people would suggest that? You know, for instance... You know, is this a money-making exercise where they can have a, a week of football in, in you know, somewhere in the Middle East or somewhere in the United States? And I know it would be a bit of a shambles of the Champions League to be played outside of Europe. But do you think that there's an element of that to it? Yeah, I can see. I can see what they, what they how it would benefit UEFA because they've got a sitting period of time to maximise rather than you know, the the flash point of a semi-final and then a final, there's no continuity there. So you can't really build the packages of finance around that. But if you've got a week, yes, you can do so so much with it and you can sell it. Um, and of course, we know that they're very good at that. I just don't think it adds to uh, what, what Jarvo said, uh, rightly so, the fans, right? The fans do not want that. If, if you ever see the fans as being or the global fan base of football. Um, yes, that week would work better, but this is about the individual clubs who've succeeded with their team, their town, their city, on the map, feeling the, the fans from the other teams coming into their into the, their town and having the experience of going and uh, experiencing the welcome that they would get in the um, second fixture. That's what it's all about. It's about the fans. And I'm sure if you put this to a vote, the fans would, would honestly, they would just throw this one out, you know, with the, you know, with the garbage. Um, no, I don't. I can't see that one coming. You know, I, you know, we've accepted VAR, we've accepted various changes, we've kicked out the Super League. Uh, the, the game's not ready for that. You know, not this is not an advancement, and I would, uh, I would not appreciate that being brought in. I mean, just think of the Leicester City players who get to play in the Stadio Olimpico next week. Uh, against Roma and I know for a fact a lot of those lads are absolutely pumped to go and play there I mean it's not an experience you get very often but going and playing with no disrespect to to any other club country or stadium but going and playing somewhere neutral where you're not able to go and experience that and soak up that atmosphere I'm sure is something that the players won't be keen on and you know Trevor mentioned traditions Javo and they do come and go in football but two-legged semi-finals have been a part of the Champions League and before that the European Cup since 1955 I mean does this make any sense I mean as Trevor says I think that's the key what's the benefit here because if the fans don't like it and the players don't like it why would clubs vote for it <laughs> well we all know why 
But <laughs> the, 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 big, the biggest thing is, like, like we've mentioned, it's it, fans and players, like you say, like the, the Champions League, the, the, um, the Man City players are now going to go to Real Madrid, they're going to go and play at the Bernabeu. Like, what an unbelievable experience that is going to be. You know, to go there, the atmosphere, going there with four, you know, four, three up. Like, what, what an unbelievable experience that is as players, as and as fans. Like, you can't lose that. And it's it, the the away goal's fine. You know, I, I actually I, I agree with that because I think that's a bit harsh on on teams. But the two legged fair is is brilliant. It is brilliant, and everyone you just get that from the first leg. Oh, you're four three up, right? Tactically, what you're going to do? How your players are going to react? How you're going to set up the team? How mentally are they going to prepare to to being one nil up, or is it going to going to go and you know try and look to win again, or you're going to sit back? You know, it's, it, all of these things you 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 get to enjoy with the Champions League and, and Europa League. I think that's that's the key. It's, it's very much you know. When you sit back and think about it, it's it's completely financial from uh, UEFA's uh, point of view because there is no arguable uh, benefit uh, other than they can have another sort of diary, another addition to their diary for a few days because a few days in the hands of a UEFA means tons of money, and and um, and when they can plan and they know what's happening, goodness me, they can can really uh, go for it. With uh, raising raising funds and money, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but when, as it stands at the moment, it's the fans' game. It's the fans who should be thriving and enjoying the traditions of the game. And I think this is this should be an immovable object. If I've assessed this right, it's just two-legged semi-finals they want to get rid of. So you'd still get two legs in the last sixteen, still get two in the quarter-final, but for the semi-final and the final, you'd just be in one city over the course of a few days. Now, that just seems very strange. I do wonder who makes these decisions or who brings these decisions to the forefront. I think it just start to think, right, this has been around for a long time. Should we tweak this? Yeah. You know, let's tweak that. When, you know, the, things have been done and it, it, everything's working well. Just leave well, it alone. Well, yeah, well, listen, Java, you've got a, a, young, a young family at home. And, you know, we've heard reports and suggestions come out recently that young people aren't interested in football. You know, and, and they, they want they want the game to be shorter or changed because they don't they don't they don't like it. They they can't sit and and I've seen some people who are far too old to be making these suggestions claim that kids are more interested in in playing on their iPads and that their attention span isn't long enough. Now I know your your lads out in I the garden t- twelve hours a day, isn't it? <laughs> I can tell you, he's five. He's been watching it since he's four. All he wants to do is watch football. Yeah, you know, that that's it. You know, he doesn't watch any other programs. He comes in, he puts on Match of the Day, he puts on any highlights that he can possibly sit, and he watches football. You know, I he's five. There's no way on earth that it, it's kids are just not interested. Everyone's interested. Everyone wants to play football. Boys, girls, it does not matter. They they all want to want to play football, watch football, and and the entertaining um, of the 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 two legged semi-final as it, that's it is the only the semi-final they were going to change but everyone wants to watch it everyone's so enthusiastic to watch it kids and and our age and older it's 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 just been around too long you can't change that and and for them to say that young kids aren't interested in it is is, is not right i can tell you from from my son's uh, perspective, for sure. <laughs> well, we'll wait and see what happens with the Champions League. But as ever, Matt, Trevor, it's been a pleasure to be in your company for today's episode of The Dugout. There are only a few weeks left of the season, which means 
You should hit subscribe now if you want to keep up to date with what's going on. Loads of podcasts still to come your way. So do that and we'll catch you again next time here on The Dugout. And of course, this weekend with Fergal being back to run the rule over the women's action. So make sure you don't miss that. But for now, that's us. We'll catch you again soon. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily